0: It's a pleasure to introduce Joni Cushing. Joni and her husband David have been at Bible Center over nine years, and they're in Pastor Tanzi's ABF and the Greens uh, community group. Uh, Joni serves in the choir along with uh, being on the board of Shiloh Village, a ministry that's emerged out of uh, several of our members here at Bible Center to help women as they transition out of prison uh, back into uh, regular, regular everyday life. And so it's my privilege to introduce Joni to read the scriptures for us this morning.
1: Good morning, it's a pleasure to be here. I ask you to take your Bibles or your Bible apps and turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Are you a pessimist? An optimist or a realist? I heard it described this way, that a pessimist looks at that hole that goes through the mountain and sees a dark, dingy tunnel. An optimist looks at the hole in the mountain and sees the light at the end on the other side. A realist just simply states that light must be a train. A train's heading this direction. But there's a fourth category, and that's the engineer. The engineer laughs at the three idiots standing on the train tracks about to get squished. Pessimists, optimists, and realists. Most of us would fall into one of those categories. Most of the time, I'm an optimist. I see life with rose-colored glasses. My family will tell you, if there's a mountain, I'm confident we can take it. Most of the time. But I do have those days when I feel like there's no roses to be found anywhere in the world. There's no sunrise to be seen. And all of us seem to have days when we question, is there any hope? It encouraged me this week to know the Apostle Paul had that same question. Even Paul, the great hero of the faith, writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever wondered how the Apostle Paul found encouragement? How did the Apostle Paul find hope and how can we find hope in everyday life? That's what this series is going to be all about. Now, I wanted to title this series, The Doctrine of the Gospel, because essentially that's what we're going to do. Between now all the way through Easter, we're going to look for nine weeks at various passages on the doctrine of the gospel. But over and over again, our creative team, as we look through these passages, we discovered that they're, they're linked, they're tied to our hope. So this morning in this first message, I want to give a few truths from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that set the foundation, lay the foundation for the rest of the series God is the good news. If you want to follow along with your app or in the bulletin, feel free to do that as we dive in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together. Number one, if you're taking notes, Satan tries to hide the gospel with darkness. Satan tries to hide the gospel with darkness. In verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. See, even though Paul had mentioned that he was struggling with his hope in chapter 1, he ultimately hadn't lost it. His hope was continuing because of Christ. But verse 2, he says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Evidently, the Apostle Paul had people in the church at Corinth or people trying to get into the church at Corinth to question uh, his apostleship, to question the validity of his ministry. We see different threads of this throughout First and Second Corinthians. Some were wondering if Paul was on a power trip. Was he just doing this for the power and notoriety? Others wondered if Paul was doing it for money. Everywhere he went, he would take collections for the impoverished saints back in Jerusalem. And they wondered, is Paul just doing this for money? Is he putting money in his own pocket? And there were all these different accusations. And so Paul writes the second letter to the Corinthian church. It was probably more like the fourth letter, but only the second letter that was inspired. And he tells them, he says, I'm not doing this for ulterior motives. I'm doing this because I love the gospel and because I love you. And not only are my motives pure, but my methods are pure. He says we refuse, him and his staff, they refuse to tamper with God's word. The word for tamper in this passage uh, it's the same Greek word that's found throughout ancient literature that refers to dilute or to water down. Years ago in the marketplace, they would try to dilute the wine and sell it for the same price to make more money. They would try to dilute the meat uh, and put other fillers in the meat and sell it for the same price. kind of sounds familiar. Those of you that are familiar with Subway, uh, that's the, the scandal that's going on now. And if you read more about it, it's not just Subway, but it's been around ever since I can remember. I mean, when I was a kid, it was the McDonald's scandal. You know, did McDonald's use, think it was kangaroo meat? Uh, And there's always something, right? Like, what is in the meat? Anybody who goes to McDonald's and eats a hamburger and is surprised that this isn't like 100% meat um, probably just could use get their head examined a bit because... um, Nobody goes to McDonald's and pays 99 cents and is going to get premium black Angus meat. It's just not going to happen. After the first service, a guy told me, he said, 99 cents. He said, man, when I was your age, it was 15 cents. He says, you could get a hamburger, fries, and a Coke for 15 cents, get the same for your date for a buck, and still have money left over. Man, those were the days. I wouldn't mind going back to that. But Paul says, we're not doing that. We're not filling We're not tampering. We're not mixing the truth of God's word. I am faithful. So why did some doubt his ministry? In verse 3, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. There was this veiling, this hiding, this distracting from the gospel So Paul's motives were pure, his methods were pure, but he still had opposition. Who's causing the opposition, Paul? From where is this coming? Verse 4, he's going to tell us. In their case, pointing back to verse 3, the case of those who are perishing, the case of those who have their eyes veiled from the gospel. He says in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who is the God of this world? Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Satan. Paul over and over again used words that Jesus used. Even though the Apostle Paul didn't travel with Jesus for the three years like Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul did spend some time with Jesus evidently. According to the book of Galatians, after his conversion, Jesus appeared to him multiple times in the desert. Uh, But Paul loved to study and would have eventually had the writings uh, that came out about Jesus. And Paul loved to refer back and use similar phrases and this is the phrase that Jesus often used for the devil. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, if you're taking notes, John 12, 31, he talks about the prince of this world. Similar in John 14, 30. John 14, 30, and also in John 16, 11. Now in verse 4, we have to ask the question, why did he call Satan the prince of this world? Is the devil in charge of the world? I mean, I thought God was running this place. Who's really running this place? Is God running or is the devil running it? I think that's a great question. That brings us to this truth. Many times in the Bible, we'll see the word world, and we have to look at the context to see the reference. Sometimes the word world is a good thing. John 3, 16, For God so loved the, God so loved the world. God loved the people on the earth. Um, but over in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 16, the word world uh, often refers to this system that's against God. John defines it in his uh, first epistle. He says, the world is that which is of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is a really important distinction. Satan has never created anything. Satan can't create anything. Satan himself is a created being. It's not like God created half the world and Satan created the other half. And No, God created it all, even Satan himself, according to Colossians chapter 1. So sin and the world is not a creation, it's a corruption. Sin and the world, is not, they're not creations, they're corruptions. So Satan loves to take something that's good and twist it into something that's bad, something that God's already created. We see it in government. God created government. But do you think that there's ever in the history of the world been anything like corrupt government? Do you think there's ever been an instance of corrupt government anywhere in the world? Maybe a time or two. It's not that government is bad. It's that Satan takes something that's good and beautiful and uses people who sometimes their hearts may not have the best motives and he corrupts it. The same with economics. Who created this system of economics? God did. Philosophy, education, beauty, art, marriage, all of these things are gifts from God. But Satan corrupts them. And this corruption is what Paul is referencing. Satan uses these things to distract us from the gospel. Notice verse 4. Again, in this case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, looking at verse 4, does Satan remove the light? Yes or no? No, he doesn't remove the light. Can Satan snuff out the light? Absolutely not. Can Satan do away with the light? Certainly not. But Satan can distract people from truly ble- being blessed, believing, and benefiting from the light of the gospel. Kind of reminds me of going to, uh, to Disney World in the summertime. A few years ago, for the first time, we decided to take our kids to Disney in, I think, late June or July. Maybe it was July. July. And if you've ever been to Disney any time of the year, it's it's kind of like going to the DMV. You Just stand in lines for hours, and, and then after that, if you go in July, it's like going to the DMV on the surface of the sun. It's an added treat, and, and you sweat in ways you didn't even know you could sweat. You know, and you take your kids' college money, and and in one week, it's well, it's it's a blast. You really got to try it, but. When, when you, go, when you go to Disney in the summer, there is no escaping the sun. You can try to deny it. You can pretend it's not there. You can pretend, But no matter where you go, it's still there. And Satan can try to deny the gospel. He can use all kinds of tricks, even in our church, to get us away from the gospel or to distract us from the beauty of the gospel. But the gospel will always be with us. Satan wants to distract us from what's true. But the good news is uh, that Jesus has brought a better way. In verse 6, we see that Jesus came to shine the gospel with light. Satan tried to conceal it with darkness, but Jesus wants to shine it or declare it with light. Verse 6, For God, who said, "Let your light, let light shine out of darkness," has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus came to shine the gospel with light. Since we're talking about sunlight and daylight, this is a great time to put in a shameless plug for daylight savings time Uh, next week. We'll be uh, setting our clocks forward on Saturday night. We want to make sure that uh, we get that plug in. Verse 6, Satan bl- blinds, but in verse 6, God gives light. According to verse 4, Satan tries to hide, but God reveals in verse 6. Verse 4 is the problem, but verse 6 is the remedy. Now, in verse 6, he says that God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. Paul not only loved to quote from Jesus, but he also loved to quote from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, you remember the day, first day of creation, you have this darkness and God said, "Let there be what? Let there be light." So Paul uses a phrase, he borrows it from Moses and borrows it from the creation account. And what he's saying is just as God declared light at creation and everything came into existence, God declares light of salvation and we are blessed with salvation. We don't want to get too far down into the weeds with this to understand what only God can understand. But here's the point. Anybody who ever trusts Jesus Christ, it's to the glory of God and God alone. Anybody who ever trusts Jesus, it's because of his grace and because of his goodness, not because we were smart enough or talented enough or gifted enough. Last week, we had a a dear couple request to talk with a pastor and Pastor Thompson spoke with him. Uh, they had questions. coming to find out the, 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 the dear lady was already a believer in Christ. The, the, the gentleman wasn't yet a believer. And last Monday, Pastor Thompson answered their questions with the scriptures and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, bowed his head and received Christ as the Lord of his life. And probably one of my favorite emails I've received in a long time came from Pastor Thompson. He wrote the other pastors and he said, Praise the Lord. Another name is written in God's book of life. Many more to come. And he put about a thousand exclamation points at the end of it. What happened last Monday night? Paul tells us what happened last Monday night. The God of all eternity looked at this young man and said, Let there be light. And there was light. The beauty and the hope of the gospel are intrinsically connected to the beauty and the hope of creation. What Paul's trying to do here in chapter 4 is capture their hearts, not just capture their minds, but capture their hearts. He uses a lot of poetic language in chapter 4, talking about the glory and the beauty of Christ. Reminds me of how we still like to see beautiful things today. You ever been to the Grand Canyon or somewhere like Cranberry Glades or New River Gorge and you stand out over the edge and sometimes you're just speechless because of the beauty that you see. It just takes your breath away. God has designed us to see beautiful things and big things and glorious things and just to get caught up in it, in the beauty and be taken in love. That's what He's trying to do with Jesus. And I'm convinced of this, or I believe this. Anytime I tell you my opinion, I want to always say, This is my opinion. Don't go start a church on this, as Pastor Tanzi says. This is my opinion. You know, sometimes I get asked, why did God allow Satan to remain on the earth after the crucifixion? Ever wonder that? It says in Colossians chapter 2 that he conquered Satan at the crucifixion. Made a show of him openly. Satan became a defeated foe when Jesus died on the cross. So why does he let that guy hang around and cause so much heartache and havoc on the earth? Again, this is my opinion. But in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he's pitting Satan against the ugliness of Satan, against the beauty of Christ. Could God, in one fell swoop, crush Satan once and for all? Not only can he, but one day he will. But why hasn't he done it already? Sometimes I wonder if it's so not through his strength and might, but through the beauty of Christ. We can choose to follow Jesus because our hearts are caught up in love. I am not preaching to you to join a church. I'm not preaching to you just to get baptized. I'm not preaching to you to become moral or try to live the Ten Commandments. I'm not preaching to you to become a a better citizen. All these things are true. I am preaching for your heart that you would fall in love with the surpassing beauty of Jesus and say, I want to give my life completely to Him. Jesus came to shine the gospel with light. If you're looking for a good book to read this week, let me encourage you to read God is the Gospel. A wonderful book, a little book, about 120 pages, I believe, about how that the good news of the gospel isn't just freedom from hell or a ticket to heaven, but the good news of the gospel is that we have Christ. Number three, and lastly, we're going to drill down here in verse five. God invites us to shine the gospel with love. Number three, God invites us to shine the gospel with love. Verse one, therefore having this ministry... By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We don't get hopeless. We don't give up. But in verse 5, he says more about his ministry. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's stop there for just a minute. Paul was reminding them that he wasn't about his own reputation. Again, we see this in 2 Corinthians. They were wondering, are you trying to build your own ministry, a name for yourself? And Paul says, no, no, I'm here to preach Jesus. It's all about him. But it's not just any Jesus. It's Jesus as Lord. There are other places in the New Testament where he refers to Christ the Lord, but he's, he's emphatic here in verse 5. He says, I am preaching Jesus Christ As Lord, I want him to be your master. I want him to be your Lord. But then he tells this church, with ourselves, talking about his staff, his team, Paul says, Ourselves, we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, one thing about the Apostle Paul is that he never let anybody be his master, the Corinthians could never be his master but he would always be their servants. And that's a big point for us to know in Charleston. The city of Charleston, the Kanawha Valley, can never be our masters. Think about what would happen if we let people be our master. That whatever culture dictated or or whatever somebody else wanted on this day of the week or that day of the week, think about what a miserable existence that could be. But instead, we will always be their servants. That's a big difference. If you're taking notes, the word servants means slaves. And in verse 5, Paul says, We will always be your servants, your slaves, for Jesus' sake. My burden for Bible Center, my passion for Bible Center in the years to come is that we would continue being the servants, the slaves, to Charleston, West Virginia, and the Kanawha Valley. That we would dream big and brainstorm ways and ask, yes, Jesus is our master, but how can we be you? you? As a city, as a valley, how can we be your servants? For Jesus' sake. This is why when we talk about expanding our counseling center in the next couple years, it's not so we can have a counseling center. It's so that we can serve more people, hurting people in Jesus' name. For Jesus' sake. When we talk about one day bringing on uh, perhaps someone like Michelle Thompson to lead our adoption and foster care ministry, there's people in our church that are passionate. Some of you have been involved in adoption ministry and would love to get on board. But if somebody says, I want to adopt or I want to get involved in foster care, I don't even know where to start. Having some office where all around Charleston everybody would know that this person or this office can take you from A to Z in adoption and foster care. We're doing this because we want to love our city and love our valley. We're just dreaming about what would it look like to minister to the people who work in the prison out our back door. If you've never been out there after church, I'm encourage you, instead of turning left, turn right and see the prison complex and all that's back there. There are people in our church that are passionate, dreaming of ways that we could serve not only those who work there, but also those who are coming out and trying to transition back into life. What would it look like for us to partner with them and love them well? What would it look like for us to serve Union Mission far more than we do? Union Mission is our largest support uh, for any missionary. And I'm thankful for that. I thank God for what Union Mission is doing. But what could we do more, not just in dollars, but in people to serve our city? What could we do with our school out here? We're in special needs. Uh, What could we do with... Uh, asking God to use a retirement village or who knows what else. We're not doing this for us. We're doing this that we might be servants for our city, for Jesus' sake. Here's my main encouragement today. We're going to start small. Main encouragement is simply this. Let's each bless the foster child through the Hope Tote Project. I've got two backpacks here. In your bulletin today... You'll see the inside behind the outline. There's a way that all of us can get involved in the Hope Tote Project. This is just another picture of the goodness of the gospel. Only the good news of Jesus saves. But what we're saying to our city is let's show you a little bit about what that gospel is like in a very small and tangible way. Our women's ministry invites you to, all of us, to fill up a bag or two or ten and bring it right out here to the mission wall. It's this wall to the, my right, your left, this side of the fireplace. And in two weeks, we're going to take those to the Children's Home Society of West Virginia. The chairman of the board, I didn't, had no idea the chairman of the board attended church here. He was in our 9 a.m. service. He grabbed me outside in the hallway. He didn't even know this was going on. Some of the other folks in our church and their organization put this together. And he said, thank you so much. This is needed now more than ever. Do you know there are thousands of young men and women who get transferred from home to home in our state every year? It's in the thousands. I found out yesterday. Do you know the number one item that children carry when they first leave their home and have to be placed elsewhere? The number one item. I didn't know this. It's a trash bag. A trash bag. Think of the dignity. Would you go, would I go to the airport with a trash bag? If you're a college student, don't answer that. But but most of us wouldn't do that. What an opportunity. This is small, but we've got decades to grow. Let's show the love of Jesus and demonstrate a little bit of the gospel by blessing a foster child through the Hope Tote Project. And may God help us in years to come to show and shine the gospel of Jesus in word and works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the rich truth of the gospel. May you use us to show our city and show our state a little bit what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like. Lord, we don't want Charleston just to hear about this gospel we teach and preach, but we want them to believe this gospel that we teach and preach. Help us to find a thousand more ways to build bridges. Into the lives of boys and girls, men and women of all ages. So that more can believe in you and become a follower like this young man did this past week. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe as we've talked about the gospel, God has spoken to your heart and you said, I, I want to believe that. I do believe that. And today I want to become a follower of Jesus. You know you can do that right where you sit May God has working on your heart. As we said earlier, let there be light. God has brought light to your soul. You want to turn and trust Christ. I'll pray. Let me invite you, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, to pray and receive Christ right where you sit. You can put this in your own words, but may it come from your heart. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. I believe you brought me here for a purpose. I believe this good news. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose to give me new life. Lord, make me a follower of Jesus. Change me from the inside out. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed today to receive Christ, will you let us know before you leave? We have men and women in the living room. I'll be out the front. We have a pastor down here at the very front. Just let us know, hey, I prayed that. I meant that. I'm glad that I did. We'll follow up with you this week and help you on your journey of becoming a Christian. Let's all take a moment with heads bowed and ask God, what is my next step? And we'll close the service in a moment.